Hello and welcome to Remember the Film, the podcast where this week we're recording we're recording an hour early, so Josh is going to be very sleepy throughout. Uh, I'm so uh, tired. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this, but I'm here. But we did it. But we did it. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I'm Hugo, and as usual, with me are my lovely co-hosts Jeff, Grizz, Ulrich. Hello. Hello, Jeff. <laughs> oh, jeez, delay there. Yeah, there was a delay there. Up, I was Jeff. like, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> did Jeff freeze already? That's first technical problem after one second of the podcast. And of course, we also have Sleepy Josh Bradley, as we call him around these parts. Yeah, that's that's been my name for that's his yeah, title. long time. Sleepy Josh title. Bradley, it's me. <laughs> Sleepy, Good old Josh. Sleepy Josh. <laughs> that's what he's got to change his his Twitter handle to the Sleep Josh yeah. B. <laughs> ah. <laughs> What we're doing this week is we are basically looking back at our favorite movies of 2021. We'll each have a sort of a top three, top three movies and some honorable mentions. Uh, we'll try to compare those to what last year when we did our episode on our most anticipated 2021 movies. We'll compare episode those 11. Yeah. Episode 11. Yeah. Long time ago, it feels. Uh, also, like yesterday. That's how time works now. Um <laughs> And we'll also do our most anticipated movies for 2022. Um, so like we did last year, in the following three weeks, each of us will pick like a uh, uh, film to remember for, for, for the next three weeks that will be sort of connected or uh, you know tied to our most anticipated movies of 2022 for some reason that we will each explain. Um, we're skipping this week what, what we've been watching just because we're going to talk about a bunch of movies uh, so that, yeah. that, you know, we can do that next week and not waste Makes time sense. on it this week. Um, so anyway, the way that we're going to do this, I guess, is first throw out some... What do you guys want to start with from our 2021 favorites? Well, I think I, that would I, make sense. Yeah, well, I think we should go... We should start with the, what our most anticipated movies were for 2021 yes. and discuss how those... Panned exactly. out for us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I agree. And that sounds that sounds fun. Great. Okay. Uh, so yeah, let's go one by one. And who would like to start, Grace? Yeah, start. I'll, I'll say. Should, should I do all three of my most anticipated? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. My most anticipated for 2021. If you go back and watch episode 11 of the show, uh, we talked about like five of our favorites or something like that. We talked about multiple of what we were excited for, but the three that I was actually the most excited for. Uh, was Raya and the Last Dragon, the new Disney animated film that came out last March. Uh, Luca, the Pixar animated film <laughs> that came out in June, I think. Yeah, yes, it was early yeah. summer. Can't remember. And then yeah. Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, the MCU movie. Uh, so th- those were the ones I was looking forward to the most for 2021. Obviously, not like really heady dramas or anything like that, but you know me. <laughs> But uh, uh, did any of those three end up in my top three of 2021? No. <laughs> but but how did you enjoy them? Like, were you yeah, disappointed they? by them? Or I think did you still like, like them? I really enjoyed Raya and Luca. <laughs> but I would still say that I was a little bit disappointed in that at the end of the movie, I, at, at the end of the year, looking back on it, I wasn't like, oh, yeah, that was one of the highlights. They were like, they were good mm-hmm. movies. But they, you know, they definitely they didn't blow you away. They didn't blow me away by any means, and in particular, Luca. Uh, I, 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 while I really enjoyed it, like I really thought that it, I, it would stick with me more than it did, and it, 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 it didn't. That's um, not again not to say that there's anything wrong with the movie, but I just you know from Pixar in particular, I've come to expect like 
you know, some really gut punch emotional things that I think about and talk about regularly. Like I, you know, I didn't much care for Inside Out, but I still think about Bing Bong disintegrating into nothingness all the time. How do you not care about Inside you Out, dude? About- that's one of their best. I not, think. I mean, it's it's great, but it's not one of my favorites. But yeah. I still, but it still no, has it still has some very emotional like sure. moments yeah, yeah, yeah. and resonant things that I, I still think about from time to time. And uh, like the just the the, con- the conceit behind it, I thought it was really yeah, clever. The, the concept for that is yeah. is yeah. next level. That again, that's a little as opposed more, to Luca, which was just a very straightforward uh, friendship story with a slight twist of there yeah. are people. <laughs> so, so full disclosure, I, I never actually saw any of the three of your most anticipated from 2021. I apologize. I should have. I mean, all three of them are all sitting on Disney Plus. I could watch them all tonight if I wanted to. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I mean, that would be a long night. But sure. Yeah, and also NFL playoffs run today, so you know other priorities. <laughs> um, but I, I did watch like a good chunk of Luca over the summer when like I was hanging out with my niece, who's four, so she was watching it. And like based on like the you know the bit that I saw, it seems a bit shaggier than most Pixar movies, like less yeah. uh, less focused. You know, yeah. There's of, certainly yeah. certainly a little less direction in the in the yeah. narrative than you know. It's it's. I guess it's more it's like, like the a, licorice pizza of Pixar movies. It's kind of a slice of life <laughs> sort of deal in this little Italian town, right? But uh, that's another reason I was a little disappointed with it is that ultimately its setting didn't really have much impact on the story. Like it, the story wasn't mm-hmm. really about. Like I was expecting yeah. a story about the Italian Riviera, right? Like you know the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but it was yeah, it, it was, was kind really of just, like it was like an American you know coming of age story that yeah. took place in Italy. Like, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I feel pretty much the same. I think Luca was was good, but not it didn't you know. Well, and so if I can ask, uh, why didn't you see Raya or Luca or or Shang Chi for that matter? Like, what was your reasoning for for skipping out on those? I didn't like making an active decision to, well, yeah, no, no. <laughs> not, you know, not go see them. I'm, I'm a busy guy. Um, I don't know. Um, I think you would. I, I think I should, you would I, enjoy. I'll get to them at some actually. point. Shang Chi, I like, think you'll really like. And, and yeah, because I, I think within the Marvel, it, it's pretty standalone. First of all, and it's kind of more of a kung fu movie than than it is a a more traditional MCU movie. So I think it it stands out even for people who maybe are not super invested in in the MCU as a whole. Well, I think go ahead. I, I go through I go through a lot of like uh fits and spurts with the MCU. So I'm sure at some point, you know, I didn't see Black Widow. I'd really just see any of the MCU stuff from 2022 2021 rather. So I'll probably, you know, finish WandaVision, I'll watch Black Widow, I'll watch Shang-Chi, etc. at some point soon. I liked yeah. the TV shows from the MCU last year. Like I I enjoyed all of them. But Shang-Chi was the highlight of the MCU slate for me. And mm. uh, part of the reason I was so excited for that one was that it was, we were going to learn more about the Mandarin character, uh, who I, you know, if you remember from our episode, you know, is one of Iron Man's classical, yeah. you know, villains. Uh, but uh, this was different, again, a different take on the Mandarin from the comic books, but this one was much more satisfying in terms of, you know, a, a, the narrative that they told with him, uh, they made for a really compelling character uh, that was interesting and just—I he, mean—he's a stone cold killer, you know, <laughs> uh, which was really really cool. Uh, so I, and they managed to do something fun with you know stuff from previous movies. I don't want to get into spoilers, so Josh can enjoy it. But uh, they did some stuff with those, you know, that tied in really well with pre- the previous MCU stuff that I you know, really enjoyed without it being too like uh 
setup. Like it, like it really didn't feel like a lot of the MCU movies, especially the newer ones, have felt like we're setting up the next thing. Yeah. But like Hugo said, this one feels like if you just watch this on your own, you're, yeah. you you would you, enjoy it completely. You really don't. You really don't need to know much about the MCU almost at all to to watch it, which is rare considering where the universe has gone. Which is both, I mean, both its success and its detriment for people who you know maybe are not as invested. Anyway. Well, I guess I can I can do my 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 top three from twenty twenty one. We'll just do we'll do that. We'll do the honorable mention. We'll okay. do our most anticipated, and then say what our top three ended up being. Uh, sure. For me, my number three favorite movie from twenty twenty one ended up being Dune. Mm-hmm. Woo! Hell yeah! And uh, I was very excited for this movie. Not nearly as excited as I think Hugo was, but. Uh, I, I loved it. And Denis Villeneuve, of course, delivered as we expected he would. And uh, any question of whether or not they were going to make the, the sequel movies disappeared the moment I saw that. You know, like, it, it's just beautiful. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think the question disappeared until we saw the box office receipts well, yes. for the first weekend. But, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, but, yeah, I, when it I disappeared saw it, pretty quickly. I saw it, I knew it was like, okay, this is going to, this is so good that I think that the box office numbers will, will be there. Uh, yeah, it's... I think it, it did surprisingly well considering the situation in which it was it was made, the 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 moment in when it released, the fact that it was on HBO Max as well, and you know, and the type of movie that it is. Like it's not, I mean, it it is blockbuster entertainment to some degree, but it's it's very much as dense and sort of unapologetically weird as the book yes. is, which I I really really appreciated. And as as we'll see in my top three of 2021, you may sit down and say, man, this is so freaking good. There's no way people won't show up for this. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. Cause <laughs> a few of my favorites in the top three, uh, people did not show up for, but we'll get to that. So let's go to Josh then. So now, Josh, you're going to do your... Me. Give most me your most anticipated and how those could have sort of ended up for you. Sure. Yeah. Um well, uh, so keep in mind that we did five most anticipated, yes. and then today you asked me to give my three most anticipated from last year. I don't know what the, my three were. I just had a, I had a list of five from okay. from last January, so I kind of cheated, and I have four here in my top in my most anticipated from last year. Uh, I'll start with um, uh, uh, the last duel, which was anticipated because it was a Matt Damon Ben Affleck script, also with Nicole Hall center writing and a Ridley Scott directed. And uh, Matt and Ben acting together with Adam Driver and Jodie Comer. And uh, I was really excited for it. Um, my other most anticipated that I'm kind of cheating, I put Tragedy Macbeth slash King Richard. Um, I was anticipating both those because <laughs> I heard that Will Smith was, uh, you know, playing Serena and William, Serena and Venus' dad. So I was excited about that. And then Macbeth was obviously Joel Cohen. So I'm obviously going to be there as soon as I can, opening night. And then uh, third or fourth slash third, I put Soggy Bottom, which was the original title at the time. I love that you the still... The original title. I love that in the notes, you still said Soggy Bottom. Well, we didn't know the title at the time. That Soggy Bottom would, of course, become Licorice Pizza. Notably, the term, the, the word does not is not said or does not appear in the movie Licorice Pizza, but the word Soggy Bottom does actually appear in Licorice Pizza, because that's the name of uh, Gary's um, waterbed business, yes. was Soggy Bottom. <laughs> Um, so those were my three slash four most anticipated. Um, and then my number three, top three of the year is none of those, 
but it was West Side Story from Steve Spielberg, which again, speaking of you sit down and watch them in the theater and you're like, man, this is so good. I can't wait to see this made $50 million since opening weekend. West Side Story made like, I don't know, 50 cents uh, in theaters and (laughs) continues to not do well. And uh, that's a shame. And um, I'm sure in, you know, a month or two when it drops on Hulu or whatever it's going to drop, everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, this is so good. Why didn't I see this in the theater? And I'll be like, well, sucks. Sucks you didn't. (laughs) I have my reason for why I haven't seen it yet. I wanted to take my girlfriend, and our schedules were way too busy. <laughs> well, I, I've seen it twice, and um, I don't have much of a relationship with the original movie. I've never seen the show, and uh, man, I really loved this people version a lot. So, And you're not the only one who did. I know a lot of people who really loved West Side Story uh, this year, and for, you know, I, I'm sure you're far from the only person who has it in their top three. Yeah, yeah, uh, I was kind of blown away by how much I liked it. Um, and the second time I saw it, uh, the crowd I was with um, definitely responded to it more than the first crowd I saw it with. And uh, based on like when they were reacting to stuff, I was trying to figure out um, if they were like fans of the original show. And then uh, walking out afterwards and like listening to their conversation, yes, they very clearly were like fans of the original movie and stuff based on like the conversation that I was overhearing. So. I'm someone who doesn't have much of a relationship with the original movie, and I loved this, and these people that I saw it with clearly had a strong relationship with the original movie, and they also seemed to love it as well, so uh, broad appeal, and just really well ex- well executed from Spielberg, I think. I, I did want to go back just real quick, and, you know, because you we kind of talked about it. Uh, I saw The Last Duel as well. Uh, Hugo, did you see The Last Duel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw so it in theaters. I think that's, you know... I think that was pretty high on our all, all all of our lists for anticipated movies for last year, uh, and I think for at least for me and I know for Josh it, it delivered. I I really enjoyed it, and even even though the accents are, you know, not accurate, it didn't bother me. Nah, so much. whatever. Uh, I, I the accents didn't bother me. What did bother me was like the damn beards. Who approved those? Why did they have to? Yeah, Matt Damon's Why beard. Why did they have is, to look so bad? Like, that is not a well, good beard. Ben Affleck's <laughs> beard is also pretty wonky. That's yeah. also terrible. Adam Driver's beard looks great, though. I mean, Adam <laughs> Driver looks absolutely fantastic. Yeah, he doesn't miss. Uh, but then I haven't seen Tragedy Macbeth, uh, and I, I intend to. It's on. I believe it's on Apple, Apple TV Plus now. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. It is. I'm gonna check that out here soon. And then, well, I, yeah. King Richard, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, I, I King Richard was really, really good as well. Uh, my, I think we talked, we may have talked about it just briefly when, in one of our episodes. You know, I was a little disappointed that there was not as much about Venus and Serena, like personally, uh, because obviously, you know, the movie the focus is on their father, but still, I would yeah. have liked to be, like to see a little more credit given to the work ethic and drive of Venus and Serena, uh, because. Uh, they they have a big part in their own success <laughs> yeah um okay real quick so I, I didn't comment much on how i you know my most anticipated i gave them but i didn't comment much on them that's because a few of them will appear on my top of the year list spoiler alert but i will say that uh king richard is a movie that uh i liked a good amount when i watched it but i kind of like it less and less the more i think about it and tragic Macbeth is one that i thought was 
very impressive, but not one I engaged very much with when I watched it. But I've actually, the more I think about it, the more I like it. So it kind of opposite reactions to the two movies. Um, I think King Richard might actually be more in like a tick, tick, boom category for me where I like the performance at the center of it, but like think the mm. movie itself is like, okay. Yeah. Um, I certainly like the first half a lot more. Um, the, the California portion, not the Florida portion for those who have seen the movie. That's the, the part that I responded to more. Um, and to your point, Grizz, about how it doesn't focus as much on the work ethic of Venus and Serena and focuses more in, in, on Richard Williams. Um, yeah, I, and I think that could be part of the issue. Um, uh, uh, a friend of mine said that the movie basically is glorifying child abuse and you're only okay with it because you know the result. But like, mm-hmm. it because, you know, they're real life figures, so you know that they end up okay but like if you don't know that then like his methods uh are a little more questionable possibly and it's kind of an end justifying the means of i i, I don't know i, I guess i have to rewatch it yeah. to really assess that i don't that think, take, it, but, I don't think um, it quite reaches the level of abuse but it's yeah. certainly not fostering a normal or you know good mental health sort of environment <laughs> yeah yeah i mean uh, when i was watching it that thought didn't really cross my mind but also like you know I'm a big fan of the movie Whiplash and, and other things like that, so, you know. Yeah, that was literally actually, I think, abuse. <laughs> well, yeah, that was actually literally abuse, yes, but it was like kind of a uh, um, codependent type of abuse, I guess. But actually, in our in our episode last January, when we were talking about King's Richard, uh, I, w- I even said, I hope it's a Whiplash-like movie yeah. mm-hmm. about Venus and Serena. And, like, it's not really, but I don't know. I guess that's... Is the issue maybe that it's presenting... I, I haven't seen it. Um, but is the issue that maybe it's presenting it as a bit, little too inspirational and maybe not as as critically as it could have? I think it certainly there's definitely is. some of that. Mm. It certainly is. But, like, I don't know. I, I think the reason I like the California stuff more than the Florida stuff is, like, they really do paint a picture of how um, tough the environment was where they grew up. And so, like, <laughs> you know, it, I, I guess I saw his methods of teaching his daughters more about... Um, kind of acknowledging uh you know how hard their life is and could be if they don't work hard to get out of that life and so um i don't know i, I guess that may have made me feel a little different about it but um i don't know i thought i thought it was i thought it was good but uh maybe i'm less hound king richard than i was like two months ago when i watched it or three months ago right and yeah the other two on your list i mean we're obviously going to talk about leader speed some more but tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah. i i feel like i haven't seen it yet again because availability just hasn't been there unfortunately for europe it's kind of been weird and difficult um but i feel like a lot of the reviews that i've read uh, say the same thing where everyone admires the movie a lot and the individual performances and the cinematography apparently is amazing um but it's so good yeah but i felt like i seem to have read a lot of people saying that they felt very detached from it well Um, you know it's 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 the original text Shakespeare, mm. which is, there's always going to be some level of detachment just because, yeah. you know, it, and I've read Macbeth. I read it in school. Well, I actually read Macbeth outside of school because I'm a psycho. Uh, I read it <laughs> a second time. Um, but even so, like, you know, it, there's only so much you can engage with that, at least me personally. Like, um, yeah, he wrote, Bill Shakespeare wrote beautiful words, but they're words that in, in ways that we don't really talk like anymore. Well, yeah, so. we don't use that kind of language yeah <laughs> um even so though like i mean I, I i guess to that point like i engaged with the movie as much as i was ever going to engage with uh original text shakespeare um but yeah i mean the performances are insane the cinematography is insane like it's 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 great but you know it's it's still kind of leave left me a little bit cold just you know 
Like it was always yeah, yeah, going to. Though. It's probably one of those, you know, one of those things that you have admiration for, but it just, absolutely you don't, you know, connect to it maybe emotionally on the same way. Speaking of my most anticipated of twenty twenty one, I had on my list. I had uh, last night in Soho, uh, which is a movie that sort of came and went. To be completely honest, um, I, I love Edgar Wright and I enjoyed the movie, but it it just wasn't. It didn't blow me away. Like I thought it was good. I had a great time watching. I actually went to a midnight screening of it and had a you know a really fun time. But um, obviously the editing's great. The music's fantastic. Um, you know some of the action sequences are really good. Uh, I, Thomas Ian McKenzie, I, I think, is going to be a great, awesome. great performer in in many for many years because she's she's awesome every time she pops up in any movie, but. The movie overall, I thought was good, but didn't you know didn't come close to my top three uh, for the year. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it, but I did. Yeah, and, yeah. And I I wasn't going to see it because it looked like mm. it was going to be a scary movie, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. And but you know after our conversations and how you know how much I've enjoyed Edgar Wright's other movies, I did decide. Okay, you know what? Suck it up, Jeff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a movie. It can't hurt you. So... <laughs> So I, I saw it and I really did enjoy it and yeah, uh, but it, 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 I don't think it did anything truly exceptional. Like it yeah. did a lot of things really well, but didn't hit exceptional. I think uh, it I wasn't think exceptionally few... funny. It wasn't exceptionally scary. It wasn't oh, exceptionally yeah. okay. brilliant cinematography. It was just it was mm-hmm. it was a very well made movie all around, but didn't hit that high mark in any category for me. I agree. I agree. In that sense, I agree. There's a few sequences that I think are excellent. Like there's a dance sequence where um, um, Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomasine McKenzie keep being switched back and forth and it's all one camera movement. And that sequence, I think, is absolutely... That's one of the best sequences of the year. Sensational in, in terms yeah. of just of filmmaking, but it, it just doesn't add up to, to you know, to something. I think it's because the, you know, they have those... It doesn't come together as much. They have those brilliant flashes you yeah. know, like really, like like the highs are very high, but then there's yeah. a lot of just very meh sort of. The rest is like, yeah, it's good, but it's not. You know, it's a good movie. Um, the other two that I had as my most anticipated are on my list, which you know, great. I guess I know what I like, um, and yeah. they are Dune and The Matrix. At the time, it was The Matrix Four. I don't think we had the title Resurrections yet. No. Um, so yeah, and Matrix uh, Resurrection is my number three. On, in my top three list of 2021. Um, again, a movie that <laughs> has had a lot of discourse around it, but uh, for me personally, I the the meta commentary that it does in the first hour is excellent. It's exactly in what I think. In the second hour too, yeah. Yeah, it, but especially in the first hour, just in the yeah. sense that I think it, it there, there was no way to do a Matrix movie that it was just another Matrix movie, another good action, great action movie. Because like... There's so much discourse that has happened. So many things have pa- happened in the personal lives of the directors um, that the existence of it just needs to be commented on for it to be worthwhile in any way. And I understand that's not everybody's cup of tea, but for me, it was fantastic. And I love how it deconstructs what The Matrix is while also at the same time being like the nerdiest sequel you could possibly make. Like the second hour of the movie is for people who are obsessed with Matrix lore and watch the Animatrix and played the video games, it's it's awesome because it's continuing the story in a way that people have been have been speculating it, it might. Like 
it addresses the, like it's not a sort of a re a new beginning necessarily it kind of addresses what happened before and and pushes the story forward in meaningful ways for me um everything they do with i think keanu and and Karian give probably their best performances just in terms of dramatic acting in the series um I think everything with them is fantastic. New characters are really cool. The one thing I did miss was Hugo Weaving, um, which I think would have been the cherry on top to a movie that I I loved. Um, having him there, I guess, would have, in my at least to some extent, because they do some cool stuff with Jonathan Groff, but I, I feel like if later on in the movie he turned into Hugo Weaving, even visually, it, it would have punched it through a little better, but... And, you know, obviously the action is not as good as the first three, but I don't think it was ever going to I think be. that's kind of the point. Yeah, it's kind of it, it's kind of like the way, even the way the movie is shot, uh, apparently Lana Wachowski would sh- show up on set and be like, oh, we're doing this today. Like, it wasn't as heavily yeah. storyboarded and stuff. It was yeah. a lot of handheld camera. It was very freeform filmmaking. And it's kind of just the point, like, the way she told it, it in her life before, she felt like in her personal life she had no control because of gender dysphoria and stuff like that. And in her filmmaking, she wanted to have complete control and everything to be pre-planned. And now she feels completely in control of her personal life and she likes her art to be more freeform and flowing. Um, And also like, it was kind of like the action has to be there, but it's not the point of the movie. So whatever, if it's not as good, you know, I loved it. I know a lot of people didn't, but I'm very happy that it made my top three. It... I have to say, I saw Licorice Pizza this week, and uh, Licorice Pizza might take that spot on a rewatch, but because I knew Josh was going to have it on his list and we're going to talk about it, I decided to just shout out The Matrix Resurrections because I loved it and I'm very happy about it. Yeah, I really enjoyed Matrix as well. I think you're, you're right. This is Keanu Reeves in particular. I think the yeah. benefit of decades between the last uh, Matrix movie and this one, I think Keanu Reeves has become a much better actor. Uh, just mm-hmm. in general, like not that he was awful. I mean, well, he got made fun of a lot for some of his deliveries in the original movies, but he, he's much better. It, it, it was this. funny. Like it was it, funny. It was it was it was charming. But I mean, obviously, I know kung fu is is it's funny. Yeah, <laughs> but um, in an endearing way, you know. Yeah, and he's only become more endearing as a person since then oh, yeah. as well. And the other thing yeah. I wanted to say was uh, I don't I can't think of a better example of a series of movies where a director's whole person is shown yeah. so so brilliantly than the matrix series you know from what was going on in her life you know at the beginning of the franchise to what now you know yeah. sure maybe some people people who aren't paying attention may not mm-hmm. appreciate that so much in resurrections but if you if you're cognizant of, of those facts then it, it is kind of a, a more potent uh, narrative which yeah. I, really, I, I think i really respect oh Totally. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, the most interesting part of Matrix 4 is that it, it very much is about a director reclaiming her work and kind yeah. of, like, taking it back from the people who have misinterpreted and appropriated yeah. it in, in ways that she, uh, in ways that disgust her, frankly. Mm-hmm. So she's she's taken back and kind of giving it a big F you to the people that, you know, eh, yeah, I, I think the first, there's a lot, lot to dig into the first hour. And the fact that there's not as much action in the second half, and it does kind of become a different kind of movie than the first three. Uh, that's on purpose, you know. Yeah. She is kind of like um, making the movie that, that she wants, and not you know not the movie that 
the people that she has disdain for would want her to make, I guess, yeah, uh, is, the, like, is the cleanest way to say it. The worst thing I've seen on, online about it is people saying, oh, she intentionally made a terrible movie to tank the franchise. No. So they'll never do... And that's no. like, that's insane. First of all... No. <laughs> the reason the movie even exists in the first place is her both her parents died and she was in her grief. She said, I was crying myself to sleep every night. And then at one point I had this this sort of story that exploded in my head about bringing back these characters that I love so much. And, like, just... I think people need to go into this. If you don't like it, that's completely fine. Just know it was made with love for these characters and for this story. And and don't, you know, sort of... Don't sort of de-emphasize that it's, just it's, because yeah. you didn't enjoy it. It's also one of those movies where I think it helps to remind yourself that you don't know what the movie's going to show you before you watch it. Yeah. You you you, you have to be open-minded mm-hmm. and, and not not come in with too much expectation uh, and then yeah. that makes the movie a much more enjoyable experience. Yeah, but I anyway. mean, to your point, Hugo, I, I oh, heard sorry. the same inter- I, I heard the same anecdote that you said that like she was in her, in her grief like her her coping was to spend time with characters that she buried long ago, in this case yeah. Neo and Trinity. And like she found herself like kind of talking to them. Mm-hmm. In her grief, so then she, you know, th- there's power in being able to bring back dead characters after yeah. you lost someone near and dear to you, and that's kind of what this was. And like you just said, Grizz, like not knowing what the movie's going for, it can be a little jarring on first watch. I've only watched it the one time, but like I, I think it's off HBO Max by this point. But like I'm excited for it to come back to HBO Max. I do want to see it the second time, knowing where it's going and what it does, and like I think mm-hmm. it'll probably jump on my list honestly but once the- on that second watch. The second watch is where all the the pieces sort of fall into place. Um, yeah, like I, it, I believe it, it. It's an overwhelming experience the first time. There's a lot going on, and seeing it again, I think, is, is it improves for sure. Um, but anyway, so back to Grizz. What was your number two movie of 2021? My number two movie for 2021 uh, was a movie called Come On, Come On. Mike Mills. Yes. Uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix, uh, the movie just got. Was, I think it just got nominated for Best Picture at the Indie Spirit Awards. Um, probably, yeah, yeah probably. recently. And I, I don't know what what its chances are for the Oscars, but I hope that they're no chances, Josh. It, Terrible well, chances. It might, every year, like uh, a movie sneaks in with like just a screenplay nomination and nothing mm. else. Yeah, um, and this I could, it could very, very well be Come On, Come On this year that does that. The reason this movie uh, is so high on my list is because of the, I mean, I, I love stories about like, you know, for, you know, forming new relationships with your family, like that you've, you know, estranged families, things like that. But in particular with this one, I think that the dynamic between Joaquin Phoenix and his sister and and his nephew, who he spends the majority of the movie with, is like it's rough. It's it, it's heartbreaking. They're, they they have so much going on, and it all of us have, have probably experienced at one point or another some sort of difficult time. And I think we look at this child and see all this the, these difficult things that this kid can't fully grasp what is happening, but knows that there's something wrong, and he's internalizing that. And you can see in his temper and his attitude in the movie when those sort of things break out, and you can really relate to it. I, I think it's a really great story, and it's also set in a really unique sort of setting in that Joaquin Phoenix is a radio host who is traveling all around the country interviewing 
children. And so interspersed hmm. throughout all of these, you know, all the, the story with his nephew and his sister are interviews with with kids. And they give really interesting questions and really like, you know, you, it, it makes you think about how you don't give young people enough credit to think for themselves. Are they, are they real ideas. kids? I mean, it's, I, I don't know. Like they might be actors, completely? but it, sure. if, if it is completely scripted, then wow, these kids really delivered the crap out of these lines because I, mm. I, I really believe them. Uh, but uh, it, it's just, it's just a really good uh, story and, uh, it has just the right level of sadness to it for me, because uh, you know if if something's too sad, then then it's not going to work. But if there's some silver lining, you know, stuff to it, then for me that that really resonates. And since story is one of the things that I tend to gravitate towards the most, this movie really stuck out to me, and I highly recommend it because this is definitely one of those underrated movies. So who knows? Maybe this ends up being one of the movies we talk about later as a film to remember because. I think it, it went way under the radar for a lot of people. Come on, come on is actually, uh, I was kind of not, it w- wasn't completely on my radar. Uh, again, availability, unfortunately, I haven't been able to see it. It's not available anywhere yet. But just this week, I watched 20th Century Women. With, mm. And I, I was... Mike Love's last it. movie. Yeah, I was, absolutely loved it. And so Come On, Come On shot right at the top of my watch list. And, you know, as soon as it becomes available anywhere, I'm definitely going to watch it because 20th century women uh, i think i'm gonna pick that for them to remember at some point i i love that nice. movie. i really really loved it josh what's your number two uh number two uh the aforementioned last duel um speaking of movies that you sit down and watch that think man i hope this does well and then it doesn't do well uh the last <laughs> duel i think um what's simultaneously exciting and frustrating about the last duel and how many people saw it is that you know, it was dropped in October and uh, just bombed immediately, just uh, dead on arrival at the box office. And so, you know, Ridley Scott, lovable 82-year-old, crotchety old man that he is, uh, was doing a press tour for both Last Duel and House of Gucci, which was due out like a month later. And, you know, was asked about the box office at the Last Duel. And he made some comments about, you know, young people on their phones and they don't want to see adult dramas in the theater, which, uh, number one is correct. People don't want to go see adult dramas in the theater anymore. And that's why that genre of movie is dying, uh, much to my dismay, but also like, you know, that was not received well. And so suddenly the story of the last duel, it didn't help. Yeah. So suddenly the, the, the pop cultural consciousness of the last last duel was not about the movie itself, but about the director being crashed and bitter. Yeah. 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 And so like, um, you know, uh, it, I need to stay off Twitter, but you know, my Twitter timeline was a lot of like, uh, was a lot of like, well, if you want people to go see it, then make a better movie. And I'm like, well, that's not that's the not, issue no, because it's, it's it one of the best movies of the year. It is a very good movie. <laughs> and yeah. other people were like, oh, well, you know, there's a pandemic going on, which is absolutely true. I'm not begrudging anybody who does not feel safe enough to go to the theater. However, the same weekend that the last duel opened. Halloween Kills opened to $50 million, and that was also available on Peacock the same weekend. So clearly yeah. people were going to the theater just not it's, to go see The Last Duel. Again, if you, I think I've talked about this before, but if you haven't, if you don't watch Dan Murrell on, on YouTube, you should. He does a weekly bod, uh, box office show every week where he does analysis. And he looked at the demographics of people going to the theater, and he noticed that films that skew a little older in terms of demographic and audience just bombed all of them every single yeah. one of them this year because yes 
clearly in i mean the movie probably wouldn't have done great just because of the times we live in but during the pandemic only the movies that get young people to go out have been making teenagers have yeah have been making money so yes it's and a combination of things unfortunately to your point the 35 plus demographic has not gone back to the movies in the last exactly. two years which is that just to the detriment of west side story and the last duel yeah. by two mm-hmm. and three um yeah. on the list but also you know a, a third a third reason that i saw people you know kind of snidely saying why it didn't make money is the is the content you know there is uh a co- more than one uh <laughs> exactly what movie. i was about to bring up <laughs> yeah to to in uh, my response to that is number one, uh, The Handmaid's Tale is one of the most watched, most talked about, most celebrated shows the last four years, and there's yeah. graphic rape scenes in that. And two, uh, you know, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, ten years ago, made a quarter billion dollars at the box office, and that has a much more brutal, much more graphic rape scene than yeah. what you see in the Last Duel. Also, like the whole point of the Last Duel is kind of reckoning with that kind of stuff, and the um, the power dynamics, uh, you know, societal power dynamics at play when that kind of thing happens. And uh, it's very nuanced and complicated, but I think very, very interesting. And um, and I, I think that, you know, it's kind of, uh, I, I guess what's kind of gratifying about The Last Duel is that it dropped on HBO Max earlier this month. So suddenly people are talking about it again for the first time since it dropped in October. And overwhelmingly positive at least yeah. from what i've seen like from what i've seen everyone's like catching it for the first time like oh man this is actually really good i'm like yeah no shit it's really good where were you four months ago <laughs> yeah. in the theater this movie's this the kind of movie's not gonna get made anymore because it made ten dollars even though everybody likes it on hbo max and you know it's a very much a sign of the times i think you know ben affleck has been making the tour with the tender bar the press tour and he's been famously saying that uh Movies like this aren't going to be in theaters anymore. They're going to go straight to streaming if they're made at all, and theaters will be exclusively, uh, you know, event movies. Exactly. Yeah, and then otherwise, no movie will play in theaters besides Spider Man No Way Home and in Black Widow, I guess. And you know, come Black on, come Widow, on, we'll never Black see Widow could have gone straight to straight to streaming. <laughs> well, it kind of did. Yeah, it kind of did. Hence the lawsuit. I mean, it still made um, a bunch of money though. Yeah, like despite yeah. that. So. Um, my point. My point is the, because I go ahead, to Chris. On, what? on the content side, yeah. yeah, yes, there are other things that uh, have tackled similar. I know, subject and, and, and but I think I, it's not one to one. I get that. Well, yeah, it's not that, one to one. I, I just understand. wanted to say that, like you know, there's a slight difference. I think emotionally, uh, when when seeing that sort of content in a movie theater with dozens of other people, versus seeing it uh, on your TV when you're at home by yourself. You know, with, with with so like I, I don't know if maybe that has some impact on how much people are willing to go see it in theaters. Uh, you have you have more control watching it at home. Yeah, you know. So if you respond to it, you know, in in a way, you can turn it off. You can fast exactly. forward. You know, et cetera. So yeah. there, there's there's That's some true. stuff with that, and then also in general, I think that uh, uh, we have to take into consideration the times that that we live in. Uh, people's mindfulness about that sort of subject matter, you know, has changed over the last yeah. decade uh and so that that could also have some impact on what people are are going to go to a theater to see now that being said i think that while it is very graphic it is not done for like it's not an entertainment thing no, yeah. it, it, it's you know the crux of the story is the finding the truth of the matter and getting justice but and then whether or not that the justice that is served is it true justice is it virtuous 
and it's a really cool story. And so I, I, I'm with Josh in that I really think people should give it a shot. It's a good movie. <laughs> there, there are very, there are very few movies where I'm like watching through my fingers for the last ten minutes because I'm so nervous about the yeah. outcome. Yeah. You know, like they do an incredible job of building stakes for the titular last duel. Uh, and it was, mm-hmm. it was really good. I don't know, man. I thought the movie was great. Like, excellent. Great movie, yeah. Um, so, is it my turn? Yeah. yeah so, my number more, two... A little more about this one. <laughs> my number two is the same as Grizz's number three, which is Dune. Uh, Dune, I guess we could call it Dune Part One, technically. Yeah, um, that's what the title screen says. That's right? what the title screen says, even though it's just called Dune. Um, a movie that I never expected would be so successful. <laughs> I, I was very scared that it would be a complete flop. And it wasn't, which is awesome, because we're going to get the sequel. Possibly a third one. We don't know. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Dune novel. And even the even the first sequel is a book that I really like. Uh, it's sort of a milestone of sci-fi. So as a big sci-fi fan, of, of course, I, I'm into it. Um, what this movie did that I think was particularly special, it kind of, as somebody who's read the book uh, and, and parts of it multiple times, and it, it kind of gave me a visualization of, of that book's world in the same way that the Lord of the Rings trilogy gave me a visualization of the book to the point that when I go back to the book now, I the image that I see inside my head is the images that Denis Villeneuve was able to put on screen. Like it, they captured the essence of that world so, per- so perfectly. Um, and I think that's, extremely impressive because it's i think it's very easy to make the to go to dune and you know turn it into something a bit more actiony maybe a little closer to star wars make it sort of dumb it down in some ways just for mass appeal and they didn't do that it, it's as dense as weird as as sometimes scary and in sort of a cosmic horror type way as as dune the book is and and I think just as a, an audiovisual experience, it's it was almost overwhelming. Like the score is amazing. The cinematography is amazing. The locations they use are so perfect because it feels like a real place. It, it very, very few scenes where I'm like, oh, that's definitely completely CGI. Like it, it, I was blown away by it. The only reason why it's not my number one is because it's part one and I'm kind of sitting here waiting for part two. And, and if the whole project comes together, as well as the first one will, it, it might end up being one of my favorite sci-fi movies ever made because I, I was overwhelmed by it. It was great. Well, you had mentioned that they they managed to resist the urge to dumb down the subject matter yeah. and to make it more action-packed. I did want to say that when they did have action, it was executed yeah. very well. Uh, yeah. Excellently, like, very well choreographed scenes for, for fights and things. So... I think that's why it works so well is that mm-hmm. uh, they do bring to life the, the combat, you know, in, in yeah. a way that is exciting, like you would expect from people, like the people who are big Star Wars fans have come to yeah, expect yeah, yeah. from sci-fi films without th- throwing away all of the more intellectual and more uh, odd. Metaphorical stuff, yeah. 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 And yeah. all the visions and all the, the monsters. And there's, there's this one scene... Sorry, I'm just going to... There's this one scene at the be- very beginning of the movie. It's like in the first 15 minutes where the Bene Gesserit ship is just um, landing on this black background and you only see the lights and some of, some of the outline of the ship. And there's this 
Hans Zimmer score, just women shouting in your ears. And if you're in theaters, theaters, it feels like the earth is shaking, where it's just like one of the great theater experiences for me. Like, it's just oh, mind blowing. Josh, did you Chris, like I, uh, Josh? <laughs> well, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, I, I loved it. And I wanted to offer a contrast to Hugo. So Hugo is a fan of the book mm-hmm. and loved the movie and delivered on your expectations. I've never read the book. I've never opened, you know, I, I don't know anything about it besides the main character's name is Paul. <laughs> which, I know. which is, to be fair, very funny. About a dude named Paul and their spices. That's all I yep. knew about Dune going in. Um, and uh, I also know that Dune is a long, very dense mm-hmm. text. And so I was nervous about if I'd be able to follow it. And I could. I followed it beautifully. Uh, Denis Villeneuve is a hell of a storyteller. It, you know, just making sure that everything is cogent and clear. And stakes are clear. Characters are clear. Conflict is clear. Um and uh, it, it is a bit overwhelming just because it's a feast for your senses. And I kind of, you know, I need to watch a second time. Unfortunately, I only watched the one time when it was in theaters and on HBO Max. So hopefully it'll be back on HBO Max soon. But um, also like the fact that it's only part one. Like I thought it was a pretty satisfying, complete-ish story yeah. considering it's a part one. Um, yeah, I just, I was, you know, I had high expectations and I was still incredibly impressed with it. So yeah. Hell yeah, Dune. Uh, whose turn is it? Uh, my Chris, turn. My turn. Your uh, favorite movie of the year. My, my favorite uh, movie of 2021 was The French Dispatch, uh, as directed yeah. by one Wes Anderson. <laughs> Very uh, high on my list as well. I think I, I have it I love, five or something. I love Wes Anderson movies. You know, uh, they don't always like reach the level of like like I have to talk to people about it, uh, but this one does for me. Uh, I. One of the things that I always love about Wes Anderson's movies is the large casts of characters that are quirky and fun and uh, a little odd. But uh, what this one does in particular is that they the stories are set in like little vignettes. You know, of, you know each each section of the movie is its own little story that is self contained and is while still very Wes Anderson is still sometimes a little more stylized in one way or another, uh, in each of the vignettes. And so I, I've really, really enjoyed that. Uh, and I, I, there's the cast, like the actual cast. I just love all of these actors. Like Benicio yeah. del Toro in this is this, this might be one of my favorite performances of his and he's done a lot of really <laughs> great stuff. Uh, I like his section the best. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting. <laughs> and, uh, it, it's hard to really put into terms for me because, like, with Wes Anderson, I feel like it's you either really like this guy or you, or you don't because mm-hmm. he he has his style and uh, is he's a very unabashed with it. Uh, I, one of, aside from Benicio especially, Del Toro, especially second, in this movie, especially in this, like, movie. this is the most Wes Anderson movie for sure. Uh, Timothy Chalamet's whole section, I I you, you could have a whole movie about any of these. Like yeah. individually, and there's enough story there and enough character, in you know that they could come up with something really special. But it, it I don't know, I I just loved all of it, and you even get a little section that is you know like animated in a very classic Wes Anderson way, and it, he just delivered yeah. on everything I want from Wes Anderson. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was another one of those. It it was kind of an overwhelming as well um so much going on i feel like i there's so much that i probably missed 
but I went out, I got out of the theatre and I was like, yeah, that was, that's art. I, I don't know, I don't know exactly what that is. I don't know exactly what it means. I don't know exactly what each story is saying, but it it's it's art. And I, I feel like I could watch that 15 times and discover new things every time. So props to him. Like, I lo- I'm very happy that he's able to just make whatever he wants. What did you think, Agreed. Josh? I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think I gave it four out of five stars. Um, but I also give the caveat that Wes Anderson, uh, more than other directors, his films grow with rewatches for me. So yeah. I'll probably uh, see more to like about it on rewatch. Okay. Well, so what was the, the number one movie for Josh this year? Licorice Pizza. Licorice Pizza. Obviously. Uh, I mean, caveat that like you know it was my most anticipated movie of the year back when it was called Saki Bottom and there was never a world where well that's not true there was probably a world where this wouldn't be my favorite of the year but uh it is uh <laughs> um Paul Thomas Anderson his movies are always uh impeccably made and I I almost like don't like when people like throw that up as like a almost a caveat to a movie they don't like that much. Like, but it's, it's true. Like the master, I don't know. I can't make casual tales of the master. I've tried many, many times, but it's still like among the most wonderfully shot, wonderfully acted movies yeah. of the last 10 of the last 10 or 20 years for me. But like, it's, I just don't like, no, I don't know what to make of the narrative necessarily. Um, I think every single one of his, of his movies, you look at them and you're like, Oh, this is exactly what he wanted. It's perfectly made. And, whether yeah. you connect to it or not is whether you're going to like the movie overall or not. His ability to bring his vision to the screen, like what he yeah, has in his head and the way he brings it to the screen is impeccable. So whether or not you actually yeah. relate to the stories, you can still appreciate that Paul Thomas Anderson yeah. has delivered exactly what he wanted you to see. And and I, I rewatched Phantom Thread like, like last weekend and – what a just a freaking gorgeous movie just in, in every sense of the word just absolutely gorgeous and that's like immediately apparent to anybody whether you connect to the narrative or not which is kind of the p- point i'm building to um the opening scene of phantom thread uh I-, I never really noticed how much it's cut like a music video he's basically mm-hmm. like he's basically making a music video for johnny greenwood's score set in this amazingly gorgeous house with gorgeous dresses and like just a sweeping camera with natural sunlight and the the orchestra it, it's just it's great stuff. And but like that movie, the aesthetics are the you know the aesthetics are incredible, but like that movie it, it took me a little bit to crack that to kind of like see what the movie's doing. Um but I did ultimately really connect with Phantom Thread as well. Um it just took a little bit of time. But Licorice Pizza I connected with immediately. But like the the, the immediate the the, the things that are immediately apparent about its greatness are like the aesthetics, I think. You know, the cinematography and the music and, uh, you know, the characters running towards each other. Great stuff. But, like, what the movie's doing, I also really love. And it, it, I've seen it twice now. Uh, might try to see it a third time before Oscar nominations or, or after Oscar nominations. But um, I love coming-of-age stories. Uh, you know, I love Lady Bird. I love Rushmore. Those are some of my favorite movies. And this is a mutual coming-of-age story. As uh, a coming, it it's it see it kind of it's a bit of a bait and switch. It like it's, seems like it's going to be a coming of age story about the fifteen year old kid. Turns out it's more a coming of age story about the twenty five year old woman more than anything else. I think, and mm-hmm. um, I relate to both characters, but I definitely relate to Alana more than Gary because I feel like I don't know. Uh, there's a lot to dig into, but um, I just really loved it so much, and the the stuff in the third act or second second act with Bradley Cooper and the God, truck uh, was some of the. <laughs> I have not heard a movie audience groan 
as much as <laughs> they did when they, the truck ran out of gas. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just really great stuff. And, um, uh, and it, uh, it, it also keeps you on your toes in that sequence as well, because it's Paul Thomas Anderson, so you know that anything could happen. Like, it could... And there was a moment there where I thought, oh, is this going to do a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and it's suddenly going to turn really violent? And then it doesn't. <laughs> but, but like, you're... You're kind of tense and nothing really happens, but you still feel that tension. And the movie is so good at putting you in that mood. Well, stuff happens and yeah, a lot of stuff almost I mean. happens. Yeah, like exactly. seeing Bradley Hill, seeing Bradley Cooper walk up over the hill again, elicited such a response from the audience <laughs> I'm seeing with and a response in me. Uh, you're suddenly just so nervous after a pretty shaggy first two hours and suddenly like, oh, my God. Um, but yeah, Hugo, you liked it. Chris, did you even see it? I pizza? haven't seen it yet. Okay. I, I it's loved good. it. I, for me, Alana Haim, I hope she keeps doing movies. Uh, you know, it's first movie, which I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I don't know if maybe, I mean, the character was written for her. So I'm sure Paul Thomas Anderson understands her energy to some extent, but like, I hope she does more because I thought she was absolutely brilliant in it. Um, so this, also, this past, I've been, this... I've been listening to Haim the whole week just <laughs> because of the movie and I, and I, understand why it's sort of there's something in the vibes of Haim that fit into the vibes of licorice pizza i'm also just now getting to get into Haim that uh yeah i need to Haim, Haim, yeah, this more um what's funny is paul Thomas anderson was nominated for a director's guild award uh this past week for best director which is a good sign for him to be nominated for best director at the oscars and i saw a few people being like yeah that that movie's good but it's like not that well directed i'm like no, shut up, dude. There's yeah, no. there's two first time actors in the lead roles. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe just shut up. <laughs> one of, one of whom out. is 17 years old at the time of shooting. Like, come on. Yeah, most most movies that are led by two first time actors turn out to be as good as Licorice Pizza is. That's yeah. that's that's usually yeah, how it goes. That, that's yeah. Normal. So yeah. yeah, it's not not a well directed movie. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Random internet commenter. And. Remember to me? follow at RTF Pod. <laughs> <laughs> RTF underscore pod, Grizz. Underscore pod. My bad. <laughs> For me, I I loved it. I, I echo everything you said, and and I I related very very closely both to the sort of fifteen year old who's too old for his own age and kind of turns in becomes an asshole is a little bit of an asshole because of it, and the twenty five year old that doesn't know what the hell is going on uh, that I'm I've lived through both those, those phases in life <laughs> one of which I'm still in but uh, you know I, I get it the the ending I'm still wrestling with which I Me think too. is the point um, of it so but we'll see how it shakes out regardless which uh, what's your number one of the year Hugo my number one of the year is the weirdest pick I think of all of them. Yeah. Uh, that we've mentioned and I just to preface it it's an animated movie just to preface this a little bit this movie has a 100% score on Rotten Tomatoes only 16 reviews because not a lot of people saw this movie but still very highly regarded it has like almost a 9 out of 10 average on those reviews it is on the Letterboxd 2021 year in review thing that they did it was the second highest rated movie of 2021 and it is currently in the top 100 Letterbox animation list at number eight. Just to give you an idea, it, it is number eight, right above The Lion King and right below Howl's Moving Castle. Um, Grizz, okay, top 100 Letterbox. Guess which one's number one, can you? You're a big animation guy. An- animation? Yeah. You have um, five I'm seconds. Like, I, I don't remember. I'm sorry. Akira. Spirited Away. Yep. 
Oh, Spirited Away. Okay, of course. Spirited Away. <laughs> um, so the movie is <laughs> the ridiculously titled Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 Thrice Upon a Time. Um, it is the grand conclusion of the Evangelion series, um, which is, of course was an anime series and turned into... Then there was a movie that concluded the anime and then there was four movies that could, finished uh, the story. Very complicated. It is basically impossible to explain why this movie was so meaningful to me without having the context of what Evangelion is. It's a movie that you can't watch on its own. It's completely like it wrestles with the whole legacy of Evangelion and its creation and what happened with fans. Like there's so much in it, kind of in a similar way to The Matrix Resurrection. There's a lot of self-awareness in it, um, but it. It's one of the most beautifully animated movies I've ever seen. It's absolutely stunning. The music is incredible. Um, and Evangelion as a whole is, despite being known for its big robots and stuff, it's very much a movie about sort of wrestling with absolute devastating, crippling depression and being able to kind of survive that and decide to that kind of human relationships are worth having and that life is worth living and just to put it in the most basic terms, of course, it, it goes into psychoanalysis. There's a lot of stuff in there. Um, the movie wrestles with all of this um, in in ways that I find incredibly nuanced and complicated for, for what this movie actually is when you just look at it at first glance. And it is a movie that uh, made me extremely happy when I watched it. I just watched it again last week and, and I found it just as beautiful and life-affirming as the first time. I find a lot of meaning in it, despite how crazy and, and you know, non-standalone and, and completely of its own kind it is. Like, it's currently in my top three, five favorite animated movies of all time. It's the only 2021 movies that are, movie that I gave five stars on Letterboxd. I wow. absolutely adore it. It's, it's impossible, again, to explain why this movie meant so much to me without knowing what Evangelion is as a whole, but I loved it. It made me happy. It it kind of, it, it's a movie that sort of tells you, well, stop being obsessed with, with this fiction. It can be meaningful, but try to live your life as well. And it, so I you think know, you and your friends will take that to heart and stop memeing this? Yeah, movie? no, no, no. Stop <laughs> memeing? Never. <laughs> stop memeing? Absolutely not. Um, it, the Evangelion memes never end, but it, it's, but yes, in terms of, like, because Evangelion fans especially are very toxic, problematic bunch, um, despite, you know, completely misinterpreting what, what the show is in this, in a similar way to The Matrix again, um, the movie is, is talking directly to them, but it's not, it's, it's doing so lovingly and, uh, which for me, I was already there. Like the meaning of the ending of the TV show is very similar to the meaning of the ending of this movie, but it was misinterpreted. And this is kind of the creator, as you said, Josh, before with Alan Wachowski, retaking the legacy of what this is and reaffirming it completely. Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's hard to recommend just because if you haven't, if you have to go through the whole journey or it makes no sense. Yeah. You've got like 40 um, hours of homework. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not, it, but <laughs> But that being said, uh, it was my favorite movie of the year. And, That's and, cool. You know, I loved it. And again, just thinking about it makes me smile. It makes me happy. So. I can see it. We can see it on your face. Yeah. Well, so, so there you uh, go. Real quick. You guys probably have. I mean, Grizz, maybe you might have seen it. I haven't it, seen it because I, I, so, I haven't seen all the movies. So yeah, I need to watch the other ones first. 
But um, it's a journey. I don't know what this a... is. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's okay. Uh, I just wanted to. We'll just go through real quick and say our other honorable mentions for things that didn't quite make it into our top yes. three. I'm just going to list. Well, them. Recap your top. Recap your top three, and then give us your honorable mentions. So, it, yep. uh, Dune was three. Come on, come on. Uh, was two. French Dispatch was one. Uh, for my ones that didn't quite make it, Bo Burnham Inside, uh, Woo! which yeah. I did in fact like better than it, it was my number two favorite thing on Letterboxd, but because it's not a movie per se. I didn't, you know, I didn't know yeah. how to, to include that. So it, it, it honorable mention, uh, no time to die. Uh, the bond film absolutely loved it. My favorite bond movie, uh, Mitchell's versus the machines, the, uh, my favorite animated film from 2021. And then we already mentioned it earlier, uh, but Shang Chi and we also mentioned no way home, big, big blockbuster movies, really fun. Uh, and, uh, the more niche movies, the green Knight. Judas and the Black Messiah and Bell uh, were also three excellent movies from 2021 that uh, you should definitely go see. All right. For me, top three, West Side Story 3, Last Duel 2, Licorice Pizza 1, Honorable Mentions, Power of the Dog, which was in the top three but was unseated by West Side Story, Uh, The Green Knight, also like Grizz, Uh, Red Rocket, the Sean Mm -hmm. Baker movie uh, about the former porn star washing up in, in Texas was just Really, really good, and uh, it's funny how much Licorice Pizza kind of stole the discourse from uh, Red Rocket, because uh, that's all I'll say. I really enjoyed Spencer uh, a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, Dune, I really loved. That's an honorable mention. And also, Malite Grizz, Judas and the Black Messiah, which is kind of a 2020 movie in yeah. terms of Oscars, but by other all other definitions, it's a 2021 movie, so I'm, I'm counting yeah. it. It counts. That's why I said it, too. That's it was a weird one, so it doesn't, you know... Time has no meaning. Um, the recap for me is number three, The Matrix Resurrections, number two, Dune, and number one, Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0, Thrice Upon a Time, a name that I will never be able to say. Um, honorable mentions, I mean, my number one honorable mention is Licorice Pizza. It, it, it will probably be on my list once I see it again. Um, I loved Spider-Man. I loved The French Dispatch. Power of the Dog I also saw this week, and it was fantastic. Um, a lot of movies that I unfortunately wasn't able to see, but I think uh, I will really enjoy when I do. Um, and also, I did also love The Green Knight. Very, very strange movie, but uh, yeah, excellent. It's, it's, it's really good, though. It's yeah, very no, it's, much an Arthurian legend, like the way it's written and told. Yeah, yeah but there's also well like, there's something... There's some, <laughs> the way it's modernized makes it so weird. Um, and No Time to Die as well. I, I also really enjoy No Time to Die. Surprisingly so. I didn't think I would like it as much, um, but I, I really did. Um, okay, so going to Most Anticipated, let's just do all three uh, for each of us. So we, we save some time here and uh, just, you know, so Grizz, your turn. Go through your top three. Tell us what it is and why okay. you're excited about it. So my top three, the first is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. Uh, I also, think, sorry, if if you want to shout out some honorable mentions, do it now. For other... Because uh, you might as well, yeah. Yeah, Very okay. Quickly. Well, okay, honorable mentions on this. Uh, Death on the Nile, that's the new mm-hmm. uh, Kenneth Branagh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hercule Poirot movie. Uh, the Batman, duh. Uncharted. I mean, I love the video games. I and I'm not like I don't think it's going to be an excellent movie, but I, I just I want to see if it's going to be a train wreck or if if it'll be the next Indiana Jones. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I then, suspect neither. Uh, Lightyear, uh, which is you know based on the toy from Toy Story. You know, 
I'm excited to see them tell a story. Like, I just think world building wise for the Toy Story, that's a really unique thing for Pixar to do. So I'm excited for that. And then, of course, all the Marvel movies. But anyways, Spider-Man across the universe, across, excuse me, across the Spider-Verse part one. Uh, you know, I the style the style of the first Spider Verse movie was incredible. The way they blend comics and uh, animation is truly unique and is exactly what I want from this uh, upcoming sequel. Uh, but more than anything, the reason I'm excited for this one is because they are you the they're introducing even more of the Spider Man varieties. And um, I, they already did some crazy ones in the first one with uh, Penny Parker and her, you know, spider that controls a robot. That's you know that was Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage as Spider Man Noir, like and Spider Ham. Like they, they did movie. some wacky things, but they can do wackier based mm-hmm. on stuff from the comics. So I'm hoping to get characters like Spider's Man, which is Spider Man, where Peter Parker was bit by a. Uh, fell into a vat of radioactive spiders and they ate him, <laughs> absorbed his essence, and now the spiders think that they're Peter Parker. So, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so Spider's Man could be really cool. Uh, like Spider That's Punk. Awesome. Uh, also, where... like, there's sp- the future Spider-Man is, play- is being played by... Um, Oscar Isaac. Is Oscar Isaac, Spider-Man yeah. 2099, who is, is... I love that character in the comics. Uh, obviously, Shameik Moore back as Miles Morales. Haley Steinfeld returning as Gwen Stacy. Uh, and Jake oh, Johnson yeah. as Peter B. Parker. So they bring back the, the, the core cast from the first one uh, and adding Oscar Isaac and Issa Rae uh, as, as uh, Spider-Man 2099 and Spider-Woman. Uh, so, I mean, as a big-time Spider-Man comic book fan, this just has so much potential to be an absolutely uh, incredible experience for me. Uh, and I'm hoping that uh, that will be something that everyone will enjoy because... The response to the first one was so good uh, that my only worry yeah, is... is that they can't reach that a second mm-hmm. time. So I'm hopeful that they can, though. Uh, we'll see. The next movie I'm excited for is uh, a little film that I'm sure Josh is also excited for because he talked about it last year on our 2011 uh-huh. episode. Uh, Killers yep. of the Flower Moon. <laughs> I, I yeah. said 2011. Episode 11, 2021. Yes. <laughs> Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by one Martin Scorsese. Uh, and why am I excited about it? Because it's Martin Scorsese with Leo and Bobby D, you know, bringing his two boys together, you know? Can't wait for more mm-hmm. of that. Uh, oh, and then on top of that, we're going to throw in two of the most likable actors in the game with Jesse Plemons and Brendan Fraser. Come on, I'm oh, yeah, on man. board. Let's do this. Killers of the Flower Moon. Also, it's a it's a murder mystery yes, uh, about murder like mysteries. the founding of the FBI. It's about the founding of the FBI. Also, this movie costs like three hundred million dollars or something crazy like 200, that. Two hundred million is is the, is the budget. Okay. How, is, still, how is it being outrageous. released? How is it being? It's going to be released on. I'm I'm sure it will have a theatrical window because Marty yeah. will demand it. But uh, Apple TV Plus is making Apple it, so. Okay. It'll land there eventually. Because I was thinking, there's no way that this is being made for theaters directly, right? Yeah. Note, note that uh, this is not on my list, but only because you planted a flag in it first. Yeah. Had I had my druthers, this would be my number one most anticipated. And I figured, I figured you'd have some things yeah. to say on this one. So, you know. but as long as we discuss it, who cares? Yeah. Because yeah. this yeah. Martin Scorsese is universally uh, be- between the three of us one of our favorite directors. You know, like you know, we. I can't wait uh, for this one, but. Uh, it it, it, I, it really almost has nothing to do with what I expect the story to be because it's just that I know that he's going to deliver, you know? Yeah. 
Yes. So, Josh, did you want to add anything on Killers of the Flower Moon? Uh, no. I rewatched Wolf of Wall Street like this past week, and yeah, I'm so excited for another Scorsese DiCaprio. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and for my last pick for my uh, most anticipated movies of 2022 is a movie called The Northman, uh, mm-hmm. which is from Robert Eggers uh, as the director, starring Alexander Skarsgård, Anya Taylor-Joy, Ethan Hawke, Nicole Kidman, and Willem Dafoe. Uh, if you had just read me that list of actors, I would have been on board with the movie. Uh, but also, we're going to add in that Robert Eggers has quickly become a powerhouse director, uh, and I haven't seen The Witch or The Lighthouse because they are scary. What? Because they're scary. <laughs> <laughs> The Lighthouse is not scary, first of all. Is it not? And the witch is... I, I was led to believe it was scary. I mean, it's Define a scary. psychological thriller more than anything else. And I don't know. The witch is only scary for like a small portion, I right. think. So my intention is to go back and watch these because I am very excited for The Northman. So I, I, I do want to watch these other movies. And uh, spoiler alert for an upcoming film to remember, we're going to do The Lighthouse. So... Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... That's going to happen. I'm also extremely excited for this movie as well. I don't know if this would be my top three most anticipated, but it's it's very high and most anticipated for me too. The reason that I'm excited for it, despite having not seen those other two movies... That's wild. Is, That's wild you haven't seen those and this is your number one or whatever. It's because this movie just seems like it's a slightly more on the action side, right? Because there's going to be some brutal kind of, yeah. combat. And, but also, they're still including the creepy, witchy stuff, as you've seen, in the, as you can see in the trailer for this. Uh, so I think it, that counterbalance will make it so that like I'll be able to approach it uh, with less uh, trepidation. Intimidation. About, yeah. yeah. So I'm very excited for that, and it's just a, a classic story foundation. It's a vengeance story, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, and it's a uh, 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 fratricide, and, and you know, like you know, it, it's. It's just, you know, such very, a very primordial stable. stuff. Yeah. Very it, primordial it, stuff. Foundational storytelling, yeah. right? So, yeah. Uh, you're, I'm gonna, you're gonna be able to resonate with the story. Uh, I'm confident of that. And then on top of that, it just looks like a, a dreary, violent. It, it, I, I'm very it excited incredible. for the setting. It's, 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 yeah. Very, very excited for that. Uh, so, that's my most anticipated movie for 2022. Josh, what do you have for us? I see some interesting picks. Okay, I'm going to do my top three, and then if it's okay by you, I want to run down my uh, animal mentions later, if that's all right. That's fine. Yeah, do what you got to do. I'll have to do them rapid fire. Uh, so for my top three most anticipated, um, as is the case every year, I feel like my most anticipated are usually just like, who has made a movie that I liked recently, and what are they making next? And that usually mm-hmm. fills out my list, and that's... Certainly the case for two of these three, kind of the case for the third one, but regardless. Uh, for number three, I have The Banshees of Inisherin, which I think I'm probably mispronouncing, but it is the next movie by uh, acclaimed playwright-turned-filmmaker Martin McDonough, who, um, huh. yeah. as, as I just said, wrote a lot of plays. I've read a few of his plays, I think two or three, um, and they are much like his movies, which are uh, comic and violent and dark but thought-provoking, and um, uh, so the movies he made are uh, In Bruges in 2008, Seven Psychopaths in 2012, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri in 2017, and this is his fourth. 
Um, in Bruges is one of my favorite movies, and probably the reason I still have a YouTube channel is because I made a movie, I made a video about that movie several years ago that, you know, did some decent numbers, and if that hadn't happened, I probably would have given up on it by now. Um, I thought Seven Psychopaths was okay. It was at least interesting, if not, like, my favorite movie that year. Um, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, I, I know that it's got a complicated cultural footprint, uh, to say the least, but, um, I personally really, really, really like that movie. Uh, I understand why people don't, but I think that there is a more nuanced conversation to be had about the um, more perilous parts of that movie that uh, no one seemed to really have when it came out. Um, And I'm not prepared to have it right now, but maybe someday (laughs) (laughs) on this podcast even. But um, I I really, really like Three Billboards Outside of Missouri. And uh, so I'm... I'm I'm in. I got season tickets. Smart McDonough moving forward. So, whatever wherever this is, Josh, I'm on board. Who's, who's in the cast on this one? Brendan Gleeson, Colin Farrell, and uh, Barry. Brendan Gleeson, Colin Farrell, and Barry Barry Keoghan. Ke- Sorry, Keoghan. Yeah, and uh, but Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell were the two leads of uh, In Bruges, and so he's teaming up me. with them. That was enough for me. Yeah. When, when I saw this yeah. on your list, I was like, "Yep, okay, I'm in." In Bruges Part Two. Let's do it. <laughs> but that's that's all we really know. I mean, the premise on Wikipedia says conflict between two friends arise when one of them abruptly ends their friendship with alarming consequences for both of them. That yeah, could the, be a plot description of In Bruges, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. You know, in a, in a <laughs> kind of also be the plot description of every movie uh, ever made. Uh, yes, where conflict arises when. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, so that's my number three. Uh, number two for me, uh, much like number three which is like what's the mo- what's the next movie from a filmmaker i've admired recently uh number two is a movie called men and it is the next movie by acclaimed writer director alex garland um who has quietly in the last 20 years become like the probably the best sci-fi writer making movies nowadays uh ex machina the, oh my god definitely yeah well, up there for sure well even before before ex machina um he wrote sunshine he wrote, he wrote Sunshine. He wrote uh, The Beach, 28 Days Later, Never Let Me Go. He wrote Dread, as we've covered on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And as as Grizz just said, his his directorial credits include uh, Ex Machina, which is such, such a crazy good movie, if you haven't seen it, from 2015. Uh, Annihilation in 2018, which I also thought was really, really good and also very, very interesting and uh, worth pulling apart and talking about. It had didn't quite create as much of a splash as Ex Machina did, but um, it deserved to. And then uh, in 2020, he had a TV show that was, you know, effectively just like a seven-hour movie called Devs on FX, which is um, among the best things that I saw in 2020, I think. Yeah. Um, I really need to revisit Devs. Uh, I should do that. Um, but yeah, so I don't, I don't know anything about this. Uh, it's just called Men. On Wikipedia, it's listed as a horror drama as opposed to sci-fi. So uh, I'm curious about that. And uh, the premise, again, according to Wikipedia, is a young woman goes on a solo vacation in the English countryside after the death of her ex-husband. And it stars Jesse Buckley and Rory Kinnear. So yeah, I'm freaking on board with anything Alex Garland does. Um, it's all I know about it, but yeah, yeah but it's Alex Garland, but, but, so I'm in. But yeah. that's the, the pedigree that's is there, right? Yeah. Like, you don't need to know I'm, a whole lot more because he hasn't missed yet. I have season tickets to Alex Garland <laughs> as well. Yes, he's absolutely. Also, so I'll be, look forward to this in the future. He's writing the screenplay for the Halo movie. They're, they're making a, yes, a, he is. Yeah, I mean, Halo. 
which I'm sure will definitely be made and won't just be in turnaround hell for the next 20 years. Probably but, not. <laughs> we'll I mean, there's the TV show, there's a Halo TV show produced by Steven Spielberg that is actually coming out this year. So, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, okay. number one. Number one is a movie called White Noise, uh, written and directed by one Noah Baumbach, um, based on the Don... Don <laughs> He's a, he's a good writer. Uh, based on the uh, 1985 novel by Don DeLillo. And um, it stars Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig and Don Cheadle and Andre 3000 and a number of other people. Um, I hadn't heard of Don DeLillo until earlier this year when some podcasts that I enjoy were talking about anticipating this movie. And I learned that Don DeLillo is a uh, very popular novelist from the 80s and 90s um, who wrote a lot of... Uh, Beloved books, and this is probably among his most beloved. Um, premise is a, uh, a professor of Hitler studies, played by Adam Driver. So it's a kind of a satirical, uh, elevated... I mean, um, say no more. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he's a professor of Hitler studies, <laughs> and then a uh, what's referred to as an airborne toxic event happens, where there's just like a chemical cloud forms over the town, and the whole town has to evacuate. And... Um, I, I read this book this past year, and I enjoyed it, but I can definitely tell that I'm not really getting everything out of it that I could be getting, and which kind of brings me to the point of um, uh, something about me is I consider myself a pretty sophisticated movie watcher. Uh, I think I can watch most stuff and like get what it's doing and talk about it intelligently, relatively speaking. I'm not as sophisticated of a book reader, if that mm. makes sense. Totally like, makes if sense. I read... You know, when I'm reading a book, like, I prefer something like Elmore Leonard, something like, a, you know, kind of easier to digest, easier to take in. I'm not as good at reading between the lines in books as I am with movies. I'm just the way I said it, I'm not as sophisticated of a book reader as I am of a movie watcher. So I wonder if Noel Baumbach translating this novel to the screen will make me get more what the story is doing, what the characters are doing. Um, because, like I said, I enjoyed the book, but like, I can I can tell that it's like kind of just out of my reach a little bit. Maybe if I read it a second time, that would help. But like, I'm just gonna see this movie with Adam Driver and Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, and I'm really excited about it. So, White Noise, White Noise, Noah Baumbach. Okay, one. now yeah. run through those uh, honorable mentions for your most anticipated, and keep in mind sure I'll time do this. Limit. <laughs> yes, I will do this as quickly as I can. Uh, so, uh, Blonde, which was supposed to come out in 2020, it's supposed to come out in 2021. It is. Uh, Written and directed by Andrew Dominic, uh, it's the Marilyn Monroe biopic starring Anna de Armas, adapted from the 700-page Joyce Carol Oates novel from, like, 20 years ago. Um, Adrian Brody plays the playwright, which we I guess we can assume is Arthur Miller. Uh, Bobby Cannavale plays the ex-athlete, quote-unquote, so I assume that's Joe DiMaggio. Um, this movie is long delayed uh, for a number of reasons. I kind of worry that it's, maybe it's not very good, and that's why it's so delayed. But I, I also heard that they were, you know, battling over the rating. You know, apparently it's going to get an NC-17 rating because there's a, uh, a oh. graphic rape scene in the novel that apparently is going to show up in the movie, but we'll Jesus. see. Um okay. But uh, it's going to be on Netflix, so whenever they finally release it, probably sometime in 2022, you should be able to watch it in your homes in the next few months, but we'll see. Uh, that's Blonde. Uh, the Whale is the next movie from Darren Aronofsky, starring Brendan Fraser as a 600-pound man who tries to reconnect with his 17-year-old daughter after he leaves the family to be with uh, his gay lover, who then dies. Uh, so, a lot going on there. That's an A24 movie <laughs> from Darren Aronofsky, starring a 600-pound Brendan Fraser, so I'm in. 
Uh, there's Babylon, which is Damien Chazelle's next movie about the golden age of Hollywood, starring Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. Uh, I have season tickets to Damien Chazelle after Whiplash and La La Land, so I'm in. Uh, there's Nope, the tickets, which man, is Jordan Peele. you got to save some money. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's Nope, which is Jordan Peele's next movie, who obviously made Get Out and Us, so... Uh, you know, anything he makes him excited for. This reunites him with Daniel Kaluuya, the star of Get Out, and also adds uh, Steven Yeun, uh, Best Actor nominee from last year, and Kiki Palmer. Only thing we know about Nope is that it has a really cool poster. I was going to say, the, know about right, it, the so. poster's awesome. Yeah. I have it up on the screen right yes. now because it's a really <laughs> yes. cool-looking poster. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh Disappointment Boulevard. Uh, you mentioned Robert Eggers. Uh, his counterpart, Ari Aster, he's coming out with a new one this year. Uh, those guys have kind of been in lockstep for their first Three movies, uh, Ari Aster, who made Hereditary, and Midsommar, both of which I really enjoyed. This one stars Joaquin Phoenix, Nathan Lane, the great Pat Lapone, the great Amy Ryan, Parker Posey, and the great Stephen McKenley Henderson, so I'm in. Uh, Boz Lerman's making an Elvis movie? Did we know this? I did not know There's this. a movie called Elvis <laughs> that Boz Lerman's making uh, with Austin Butler as Elvis. Austin Butler, the guy who played uh, Tex Watson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if you remember that. And uh, Tom Hanks is playing Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis's manager. So That's an Elvis movie from Boz Lerman with Tom Hanks. Yeah, I'm in. Uh, Asteroid City is Wes Anderson's Anderson. next movie. <laughs> He's apparently churning them out quickly nowadays. Um, this one also stars Tom Hanks and Margot Robbie and Matt Dillon and Maya Hawke. And then, like, the rest of the, you know, usual Wes Anderson yeah, This one has an cohorts. even bigger cast than he already does. Tilda Swinton, Bill Murray, Adrian Brody, Jason Schwartzman, <laughs> Scarlett Johansson, Brian Cranston, Jeff Goldblum, Jeffrey Wright, Lee Schreiber, Tony Revolori, and Hope Davis. I believe each one of them has already been in a Wes Anderson movie, but Margot Robbie, Matt Dillon, and Tom Hanks, and Maya Hawke have not. Uh, Armageddon Time is a James Gray movie. James Gray, who made uh, Ad Astra three years ago, which is, I thought, one of the best movies of 2019. Um, this is with Anne Hathaway, Jeremy Strong, and Anthony Hopkins. Uh, I'm on board. Uh, there's The Way of the Wind, which is a Terrence Malick movie about Jesus. Uh, I apologize for this pronunciation, but Giza Rorig, the Hungarian actor who was the lead in Son of Saul, he plays Jesus. And Mark Rylance plays Satan. That's amazing. Woo! Really? Mark Just Rylance? Give it to me. Give it to me. I, I mean, I know Terry Malick's you been. Jesus. <laughs> no, not Jesus. I mean, gay, gay, I'm sorry. I'm not going to try it again. The guy from Son of Saul, which is a great movie. Uh, I, got, I, got, I got two more. Sorry. Uh, she said which is a movie about the New York Times journalist who broke the Harvey Weinstein story, starring Zoe Kazan and Carey Mulligan. I'm in. And then lastly, a, a movie called Women uh, Women Talking, which is about apparently about, it's a, based on a novel about Mennonite women who are violated by demons at nighttime. And that's starring Franny McDormand, Jesse Buckley, Claire Foy, Rooney Mara, and Ben Winshaw. Notably written and directed by actress Sarah Polly, whose work I'm not very familiar with, but I like the cast. It's kind of sounds interesting, so I'm in. That's what I got. Okay, you know, I, I just want to just say thank you, Josh. <laughs> I know how hard it is for you to narrow down your most anticipated movies because you know, God, you just you have so much anticipation. <laughs> yes, I do. I hope everybody listening wrote all those down and marked their calendars. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go quick. Um, so, I mean, you guys mentioned a lot of my honorable mentions. I'll just add the ones that I that weren't mentioned. Uh, first, Don't Worry Darling, uh, the next movie by yes. Olivia. It's not in my, yes. my top three, but honorable mentions is next movie by Olivia Wilde, who made Booksmart. Um, it's starring Florence Pugh, uh, and Harry Florence Pugh and Harry Styles in what I assume will be the romantic leads of the movie. But, uh, I mean, I might be wrong about that. Well, they're aggressively um, making out in the brief trailer that dropped a few months well, ago. Then, so I, assume I didn't the watch the trailer. Yes. I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm going to watch more, this. More so of a teaser. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, also, Bullet Train. Bullet Train is an action movie directed by David Leitch, who was co-director of the first John Wick. Uh, I think he also made Deadpool. Um, it's a, an action movie set on a on a bullet train, uh, starring starring uh, Brad Pitt. So that's what you need to know. I think it's going to be awesome. Um, also, Everything Everywhere All at Once. The trailer for this dropped a few yeah. weeks ago. Um, it's an A twenty four movie, and it stars Michelle Yeoh. Uh, who you should know if you're into Hong Kong action movies like I am, um, who is into this weird inter- multi-dimensional setting and she does Kung Fu. So what else do you need to know? It should be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Also, movies that probably won't come out because there's not much news about them yet, but, I mean, they might. Uh, first of all, Barbie, the movie. Uh, Greta Gerwig is directing a Barbie movie starring um sorry what's her name Ryan Gosling uh, Margot Margot Robbie as Barbie and uh Ryan Gosling as Ken I don't know it I, I wouldn't be excited for a Barbie movie normally but everything Greta Gerwig has been in or made has been something that I loved so so I'm excited for potentially it. Mar- Potentially Margot Robbie will be in a Greta Gerwig movie, a Wes Anderson movie, and a David Giselle movie in yep. 2022, yep. possibly. Very Which busy year for Margot Robbie. Yeah. Um, also, for those of you who, who don't speak British, uh, it's Barbie is what is what he's saying and not Bobby. Shut up. Barbie. It's Barbie. It's fine. Uh, also the As movie, in the blonde doll. The blonde, the blonde doll. doll. Yes, Barbie. the toy. From Mattel. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, um, unlikely to come out, but How Do You Live? It's the next movie by Hayao Miyazaki, who has come out of retirement yeah. for the fourth time, fourth time. Uh, to make a movie. <laughs> it's unclear whether this will come out. Probably it's not. It's looking but... like it's slated for 2023. Yeah, it's probably not. It might even be 2024. We don't know, though. Like, There's no actual progression on the movie. It's kind of a sort of semi-autobiographical movie about him growing up, which is interesting because of what my most anticipated movie of the year is. Um, but anything Miyazaki makes would, would instantly go to the top of my list, but because it's probably not coming, I'm not going to put it on the list. And also, uh, this isn't even a movie, but David Lynch is apparently finally making something. Uh, there's a, sort of a rumoured... Uh, I mean, it was in a production, one of those production booklets things where it was announced that it would, that there's a 13-episode show um, called Wist- Codename Wisteria, uh, apparently the actual name is Unrecorded Night. It is unclear whether it's going to be made at Netflix or Showtime, but David Lynch is making uh, sort of a miniseries, and it's not a movie, but I'm still putting it on the list because if it does come out, it will instantly be my most exciting thing of the year. Uh, and also delayed out of the year, of course, sadly, John Wick and Emma and Mission Impossible 7. R.I.P. Uh, John Wick and MI7. Yeah, sad. <laughs> but not Top Gun Maverick, as, at least as of this recording. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at least as of this recording. We'll it's still in 2022. We'll see. Anyway, most anticipated. And number three, I have The Killer, which is the next movie by uh, David Fincher. It stars Michael Fassbender, and apparently Tilda Swinton is also in the movie. This uh, would also be on my top three had yeah. you got planned to fly. Yes. It's, uh, it's going to be released by Netflix, much as basically everything that uh, Fincher is, has been doing in the last five years. Um, late is probably coming out late in the year. Apparently production is supposed to wrap in March 2022, so it's unclear whether it'll actually make the end of the year but i suspect that it will um it's you know it's david fincher making a noir thriller based on a weird french comic graphic novel starring michael fassbender as the titular serial killer so i don't know what more do you need to know um 
Number two most anticipated, I have, well, Knives Out 2. It probably won't be called Knives Out 2, but it is the sequel. Well, it's not even actually a sequel, but it's the next movie uh, in the Knives Out series, uh, I guess. What's interesting about it is the only returning character is Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, uh, who so will need, be... I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, that's all you need. And in, in it's really the way Ryan Johnson has been talking about these movies that he's going to make with Netflix, also Netflix, which is interesting, um, it's basically the same principle as any Agatha Christie uh, book. Hercule so, Poirot, you know. Yeah, he's... you bring back the <laughs> the detective, and it's a new murder mystery, but each of the movie will be completely standalone. Which this I think, time in Greece. This time it's going to be. They filmed it mainly in Greece, um, and shooting I think has ended. Um, and uh, other than Daniel Craig, the cast is ridiculous. Of course, it stars Dave Bautista. Edward Norton, Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Kate Hudson, Madeline Klein, Jessica Henwick, and Ethan Hawke. Um, so, ooh, ooh. I mean, also Ethan Hawke back in Greece. Awesome. Uh, Ethan Hawke having that. yet another busy year. <laughs> another fantastic Greece movie for him. Um, also, I mean, everything Ryan Johnson has ever made, I've loved. Uh, so, what more? I don't need more than that. Number one is The Fablemans. The Fablemans is the next Spielberg movie. And it is a movie that Spielberg has been wanting to make for 20 years. He's never made it because it's very close to it or not being an autobiography about him as a child growing up in Arizona. Um, The reason why he hasn't made it yet is because in interviews he said, well, first he said that he was too close to the material and he felt that it was sort of a bit too self-congratulatory to make a movie about himself. Then he talked about because it's himself as a child and... despite being a loving representation of his childhood, that there would be criticism sort of of his parenting and and there would be a view of his parents that maybe his parents wouldn't have appreciated. And so he felt some reservations with that. But now he's finally making it. Um, I love Steven Spielberg. And to see him go back to making a movie that is very personal to him is extremely exciting for me. Um, Also going back to children, which might be uh, a weird thing to say, but I think... Some of his best work is when the perspective is from the eyes of a child, which is lovely. The first half, the first half of his career, like up, yeah. basically yeah. up until Hook, exactly. The perspective yeah. was kids, and then and, it just switched uh, to adults. Yeah. The what did I want to say about this? He actually co-wrote the movie, which is interesting because he usually doesn't. Most of the time, he he doesn't have a writing credit, direct writing credit on on the scripts that he works on, uh, but he does in this one. And the cast is again. Uh, fantastic, I think. Gabriel Lebel plays Sammy Fableman, which will be uh, Child Spielberg. He's, I mean, he's a child actor, not very well known. But we have Paul Dano as Sammy's father, or Spielberg's yeah. father, Ooh. which is very interesting because, I mean, Spielberg's difficult relationship with his father has been much uh, talked about and, and part of the reason why a lot of his movies are the way that they are. Uh, Michelle Williams will play uh, Sammy's mother. Julia Butters will play his sister. Julia Butters is the child mm-hmm. actor who plays the child actor in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Who And she's absolutely <laughs> astonishingly good in the scene that she, she has with uh, Leo with DiCaprio. Leo. So oh, awesome. I'm very happy that she's, she's getting work with Spielberg. Sounds perfect. Also, Seth Rogen is playing Spielberg's an- uncle in this movie, which, I don't know, that seems perfect. It does. Um, Seth Rogen seems like he'd be a great uncle. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's, I don't know, that seems uh, incredible casting. Um, I'm really excited about this. Uh, it feels like Spielberg uh, making something extremely personal to him, um, sort of as a, as a cap of his career. He's, I mean, he's going to keep making movies, of course, because I think that man is going to make movies until the day that he 
can't stand anymore, and maybe even after that. And I hope he does. But it uh, it feels like he's actually making something that is self-reflective in a way that maybe he hasn't made uh, in a while, at least. Um, much in a similar way to what the Hayao Miyazaki film is, and to me, to some extent, even what the Irishman did for for Martin Scorsese, like the, the, those final forty minutes of the Irishman, are some of my favorite stuff from Scorsese because it's very self reflective of of his career, yeah. uh, even with the, through the metaphor of the gangster movie. And I, and I hope yeah. this is something similar for Spielberg. I'm extremely excited about it, and I hope it's amazing. Note is screenplay not just by Spielberg, but also no, by Tony, yeah, Kushner, Tony Kushner, who yeah. um, uh, collaborate. He wrote the screenplays for Munich. For Lincoln and for West Side Story, yeah. so he his collaborations with Spielberg have yielded some of Spielberg's best work of the last twenty years. I think yeah. so, definitely on board for sure. Well, so okay. we have a lot to look forward to here in twenty twenty two. So what we're going to do in the following three weeks, so we're going to pick, as we said, pick films to remember, film to remembers. Um, I apologize for that mistake. Um, based on sort of our most uh, anticipated movies of twenty twenty two. Uh, it's my turn to pick. So since we already have a film by Spielberg and a film by David Fincher on our list, we are going to do something by Ryan Johnson. I mean, it's Ryan Johnson. What, what other film are you going to do than the smallest film that he ever made? Uh, the one that, you know, uh, has had the fewest, the, the, the least amount of discourse about it. And I'm speaking, of course, of Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, which is going to be a <laughs> film to remember uh, for next week. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, we, I, think, I don't think it's obvious you're kidding. He's kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. He's kidding. I'm joking. You're kidding. I'm being, I'm being, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, let's not do that. That that would be terrible. Um, what we're actually going to talk about is going to be his directorial debut, uh, which is Brick, a uh, film that I think yeah. is and very good. Yeah. And definitely qualifies. To talk about. Definitely qualifies as an, an overlooked yeah. movie. <laughs> overlooked movie for sure, yeah. Um, great movie. Uh, so tune in for that. Uh, plugs and goodbye. That's the end of the podcast. Uh, follow us on <laughs> ATF underscore pod. We, we are running very late. Uh, Grace has to We're leave, fine. so fine. Uh, you can uh, find us everywhere at ATF underscore pod. Follow the podcast. Please don't follow ATF pod because they are our arch enemies. And where can people find you guys? You can find me on twitch.tv slash goodgamegrizz. I am streaming gaming more regularly, so if you're into games, come check that out. Uh, and you can also follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at goodgamegrizz if you want to hear uh, more opinions about movies and whatnot. Uh, follow me on Twitter at the soup Josh B. I'm on YouTube. Movies I love, so can you. And happy birthday to my cat Kevin. He's four today. Happy, happy birthday, birthday Kevin. We love you. <laughs> and Hugo, what about you? Where can we find you? Uh, just Hugo P9. Nobody's called like me, so if you Google me, you'll actually find me. That's funny. <laughs> uh, bye. We did it. Okay. Hey, thanks everyone. Have a great day. <laughs>